Hello and welcome to the May 2013 edition of the Lesbian Gay Law Notes podcast. I'm Brad Snyder, Executive Director of the LGBT Bar Association of Greater New York, and with me is Professor Arthur Leonard of New York Law School, the Chief Editor and Writer of Lesbian Gay Law Notes, the most comprehensive monthly publication covering the latest legal and legislative developments affecting the LGBT community here and abroad. Happy spring, Art. Thank you, Brad. It's lovely here in New York City today. Especially when you're indoors on such a beautiful day. Well, we'll soon be able to walk outside and enjoy a leisurely walk to wherever you're treating me for lunch. Right? Okay. You know, being a professor doesn't mean you get your your lunch is paid for by people all the time. Let's get to business, Brad. All right. All right. No no time to waste because we have a tremendous amount of of gains on the the marriage front uh, globally and... um, that includes, obviously, in the United States, but beyond. So why don't we start a little bit with a laundry list of what's been going on in the world, because it seems what's like a lot on? has been going on well, with respect to marriage equality. I would say April might be called International Marriage Equality Month. Nice. Uh, because we had uh, final legislative action in three countries on three continents in favor of marriage equality during April, which is pretty exciting. We got Uruguay which is the second country in South America now to have same-sex marriage. Argentina was the first. We have New Zealand, which is the first in uh, Asia-Pacific region to have same-sex marriage. And France, which jumps on the bandwagon in Western Europe. Some of their neighbors already have same-sex marriage, so they're falling into line. And these are all done legislatively, right? All legislatively. Nothing is a a, a response to court decisions. There is... uh, a measure that was voted down in the Senate in Colombia in South America, uh, which is really kind of symbolic because the Supreme Court in that country has decreed that by June of this year there has to be equal rights for same-sex couples. So uh, this was a, a proposal in the legislature to make the necessary adjustments to the law. So if that doesn't happen, the, the high court may actually dictate the result. But... Uh, it's really, it's quite amazing to think, you know, that at the beginning of this century, there was nowhere in the world that same-sex couples could get legally married. And here we are, it's just 2013. In 13 years, we've come to this point where we have same-sex marriage available in so many countries. Uh, the list, which we include at the end of our lead story, uh, the Netherlands, Belgium, Canada, Spain, South Africa, Norway, Sweden, Argentina, Iceland, Portugal, Denmark, the Caribbean island of Saba. That's good for them. To Saba and get yeah, married. good for them. Uh, and Uruguay, starting in July. Uh, New Zealand and France, both starting this summer now. Uh, there's, there's a sort of last step in France that we're waiting on, and that is that uh, opponents had threatened to go to the Constitutional Council. Who who, and, who and are the opponents? Or the opponents in France? Uh, well, there are... There are Do social, they look similar to the opponents in the United States? Uh, in some respects, the social conservatives, of course, who are, who are dubious about this. The Roman Catholic Church is taking a leading role in opposition and uh, seems to have been the main organizer behind these huge demonstrations that were staged in Paris, some of which turned violent. Uh, so... Uh, in addition to these countries, uh, in Mexico, we have a Supreme Court ruling a few years back that says that lawful same-sex marriages must be recognized throughout the country if they're lawfully contracted uh, where they're performed. And so several states in Mexico now have lawful same-sex marriage. 
in Brazil, we have a similar situation now uh, where many provinces now uh, have legislated in favor of same-sex marriage or by administrative move have made it available. And there the, uh, the states, the Supreme Court has said that if a couple registers a stable relationship, it can be judicially declared to be recognized as a marriage. So things are moving around the world. Uh, the country, uh, which seems the next likely place to have a major vote, would probably be the United Kingdom, where the House of Commons has approved a same-sex marriage bill, but it still has to go to the House of Lords. In fact, I think it still has subsequent votes in the Commons before it gets to the Lords. Uh, and there's a lot of political by-play there because it's a bill that was proposed by the Conservative government but a majority of the conservatives in the parliament in the House of Commons did not support it. So the margin to get it passed came from their coalition partner, the Liberal Democrats, and also from the Labor Party. And there's quite a bit of political turmoil about that. Uh, so, so people aren't sure when it's going to happen in the UK, but it seems likely. And we've also last month had developments in Ireland. In the Republic of Ireland, there is a constitutional convention underway recommend amendments to the Irish Constitution, and one amendment which carried almost three-quarters of the votes was in support of allowing marriage equality in the Republic of Ireland. What do you think is, what's driving this to be happening? I mean, in one respect, you can sort of look at any time period and sort of point to certain events and say, oh, that was a trend or whatever, but it does seem like things, lots of things are happening at the same time right now. Is there some, I've asked you this question before yeah. with respect to developments in the United States, which we'll get to, which is sort of is there some sort of tipping point of just, you know, a sort of large enough group yeah. of countries or places having already done this that the rush to sort of join, get on the the bandwagon before it's being one is conspicuous by not being on it becomes yeah, more obvious? Or? I, think, I think there there are definitely trends in social consciousness, and uh, there are points at which a new consensus emerges. If you look at a map of the world, it's hardly a new consensus yet. I mean, there are vast areas in Asia and Africa where nothing is happening on this issue. And uh, it may not happen for quite a while. But I would say that uh, among uh, in the Western Hemisphere, we're making very fast progress. Uh, South Africa, which is really more like Western Europe politically in some respects since the uh, fall of apartheid and the, the democratic government. And there's pressure on in Australia. Uh, there's a lot of argument. It seems to be a constant uh, matter of comment in the Australian media about this, the uh, the Prime Minister right now is opposed to marriage equality, but many members of her party in the Parliament are in favor. And uh, there was talk about holding a referendum, some kind of national referendum. Various of the states in Australia have civil union or domestic partnership type arrangements at this point. And there was even some, uh, some suggestion that New Zealand will become the marriage destination <laughs> for Australia. You hop on a plane, you're there in three hours, you can have a wedding. You don't have to be a resident. Right, right. Of course, Australia won't recognize your marriage. Uh, so, you know, it's it, things are moving and uh, moving in a positive direction. Well, this. this is this may bring us back to a conversation we've we've had before as well. But there are some folks down in D.C. considering a pretty monumental decision in the in the Perry and Windsor cases. And with respect to the former, um, I mean, I know we can guess the lineup of folks where it could matter for or not matter for, but. The court writing and deliberating against the backdrop of any of these developments on the international scene matter? Matter at all? Not much? I think I think it matters to some of the justices uh, to see us being uh, behind in, in terms of uh, recognizing the reality of family life. 
because our current law does not recognize, to the extent it doesn't uh, provide uh, an equal legal status for same-sex couples, it doesn't recognize the reality of family life, which is that a small but significant portion of the population now consists of same-sex couples living in family units, in many cases raising children, who need the same legal reinforcements for their relationship and protections for their relationship that uh, different sex couples enjoy. And then getting to the U.S., you know, we, we had a, uh, a big month in the U.S. as well. We had progress. We had final legislative action in support of marriage equality in Rhode Island. And since this issue of law notes went to press, the final legislative action was taken and the governor signed it into law. So that brings us to 10 states. 10 states States. plus the District of Columbia and three Indian tribes out west. Hey, well, great. uh, We've had uh, developments in other states also in April. In Delaware, the House of Representatives passed a marriage equality bill on April 23rd. That's now pending in the state Senate. It has already been approved in committee. And in fact, as we are recording this podcast, the voting is taking place today in the state Senate in Delaware. Uh, Nevada presents an interesting situation. In Nevada, uh, they have an anti-marriage equality state constitutional amendment. Yeah, I wanted to pause on that, too, because with respect to Delaware, as you note in the story, they they first had to pass a bill to repeal... Well, that's part of this. Right, a legislative ban. I just wanted, before we get to to Nevada... Have we? Is this the first time we've seen now a state having to first undo a legislative or constitutional ban on marriage equality to then enact marriage equality? Yes, uh, I believe in some of the New England states uh, that was the case. So uh, this is not so a the, the the news out of Delaware and, no, and Nevada is not re- that re- unique. Repealing a state DOMA statute is part of enacting uh, marriage equality. If you had such a statute, and mm-hmm. we've had some in a few states. But in Nevada, we're going to see the first attempt to undo a DOMA constitutional amendment. Where the voters have avoc- the voters uh, actually... And the voters are going to actually have to vote again. Right. Uh, but uh, it's interesting that what's been proposed and what passed the uh, state Senate on April 22, uh, by a narrow vote, but still a majority, would not only repeal the DOMA amendment, but would replace it with an amendment that guarantees marriage equality in the state. So they would be taking that extra step at the same time and putting the question to the public. And I think uh, proponents feel a little safer about doing that after last November when we won three pro-marriage equality votes uh, in terms of affirmative enactment. Uh, In Illinois, uh, there's a marriage equality uh, measure pending. It's already passed uh, the state Senate, and it's pending in the House. The issue is they need 60 votes in the House and the leadership will not call a vote until they're sure they have 60 votes. The lobbying is going on, and uh, attempts are being made to uh, to push the ball forward in Illinois. In Minnesota, which is sort of a surprise entry in, in the marriage equality legislative sweepstakes, as it were, uh, in Minnesota last fall, the voters faced an amendment to add a uh, Defense of Marriage Act-type amendment to their state constitution, and surprise, they voted it down. Uh, we had a sweep of the four statewide ballot measures. And taking heart from this, marriage equality proponents in Minnesota said, well, let's go to the legislature, see if we can pass a same-sex marriage law. Mm-hmm. And they're making progress. Uh, they've gotten out of two committees, uh, one in each house, and we may see votes very soon during May on marriage equality in Minnesota. In New Jersey, uh, Efforts are ongoing to get the votes together to override Governor Christie's veto. The marriage equality proponents in New Jersey have till January 2014 to 
try to override the veto. Meanwhile, there's a lawsuit pending in New Jersey uh, seeking marriage equality in Oregon, where we have uh, a uh, state constitutional ban on same-sex marriage. There is a move on to put a measure on the ballot to get rid of that and to replace it with marriage equality requirement. And this is, I guess, this is a story of frustration. New Mexico. In New Mexico, there is no anti-same-sex marriage constitutional amendment, and the marriage statute itself has enough in the way of gender-neutral provisions that there have been arguments from time to time that same-sex couples should be able to marry in New Mexico under current law. In fact, the Attorney General recently issued an opinion to that effect, but the county clerks aren't going along. And uh, out of frustration, uh, the city council in Santa Fe passed a resolution on April 24th saying they think same-sex couples have a right to marry, and they think that the county clerks should issue marriage licenses. Is there any teeth to that thinking? No. Well, <laughs> well, you know, a city council doesn't have any authority over the issue of marriage, which is state law. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they're going on record. Uh, so there's some uh, political force building up in New Mexico. What, what do you think the, these developments sort of state-by-state state say about, I mean, this the state-by-state state strategy, as it were. I mean, there was it's a time working. where it, people were very skeptical of, of, of going after this well, actually, by state, working it state-by-state, state, Well, the state-by-state state strategy, no, that was the original strategy uh, of the movement because back in the 1990s when we saw a resurgence of same-sex marriage litigation, uh, the LGBT litigation groups said, don't do anything that will get us anywhere near the U.S. Supreme oh, Court. Oh, to get a sort of a broad. Yes, said we got to do. We got to. You know, no way because at the time Bowers versus Hardwick was still the precedent on sodomy laws. Mm-hmm. Even after Romer, uh, Bowers was still there. It wasn't overruled till two thousand three. So the idea was do it state by state. And the first uh, lawsuit filed by the movement organizations, as such, was the Vermont case, which uh, ended up yielding civil unions in the short term. But ultimately, the Vermont legislature joined the movement towards uh, marriage equality later in in the last decade. So uh, the movement didn't want national litigation going to the Supreme Court. It was a non-movement organization as such that brought the uh, case against Prop 8 and then tried to turn it into a national uh, marriage equality case. And now it's been heard by the Supreme Court, and we're waiting. So we're in this sort of odd period because the case has been argued, it's been submitted to the court, all the briefs have been filed, and they have made a tentative decision. And we don't know what it is. This is so <laughs> frustrating. You know, because they, they meet in conference on the Friday after the argument and they take a tentative vote and opinions are assigned and people start drafting majorities and dissents and stuff. And it's all a deep, dark secret. And even though, you know, we say they... they decided the case. Well, sometimes justices change their minds as a result of uh, thinking more about it or reading dissenting opinions or having to draft something that doesn't write itself easily. Uh, And we saw clear evidence of that last spring in the Affordable Care Act case, where it seemed clear in retrospect, looking at the opinions, that Chief Justice Roberts changed his mind was originally writing an opinion to strike it down under the Commerce Clause, and then at some point drew back from that and decided that he could uphold it as a tax measure. And on that basis, the uh, four Democrats on the court were willing to go along with that and uphold it on that basis, although they insisted in their separate opinion that it was okay under the Commerce Clause as well. And then you had cries of outrage, betrayal, 
from the uh, four other conservative justices who thought it should be struck down. Uh, but clearly, there was movement there. And even traces of change were found in, in Chief Justice Roberts' uh, opinion as it was released by the court on the day when the opinion was announced. There were traces in there that showed it had originally been written the other way. So things could change. Yeah, and the events could happen in people's lives, right? Justices are people, too. Maybe someone's right. well, Justice child Breyer. or uh, or cousin or Justice, niece will come out. Or, well, Justice you know. Breyer had a bicycle accident and just had surgery. Well, so th- those kind of events still. happen as well. All right, we're going we're gonna to leave it there. We're going to shift gears to discussing a very different kind of case. Okay. Uh, actually, a case. This was legislative development. It's a case out of New Jersey involving a gay teacher's forced resignation after the discovery of some... Um, is sex-related items the right way to say it? Items relating to having sex in one's basement. Are you alluding to the basement dungeon? <laughs> no, I mean... By this professor I don't his school-provided housing? I, whoa, we're going to get to that yes. and whether that even matters to anything in this. This is, a, this is an interesting case. So. This is, this is All right, we'll be right back. So we're back discussing the case, a uh, New Jersey case called Savoy v. Lawrenceville School. And in this case, a distinguished and award-winning teacher at the Lawrenceville School, a private school, um, who taught there for more than 20 years and lived with his life partner, Richard Bierman, uh, in an on-campus residence at the school, was forced to resign after some discoveries made by building um, school building maintenance staff in the couple's basement. Uh, the facts are a bit more complicated, but the essentials are this. After receiving the report of a broken water main outside of the couple's home, members of the school's building and ground staff determined that the relevant shut-off valve that needed to be accessed was located in the couple's basement. They decided it was an emergency repair, so they entered without any notification. You look like you're ready to jump in, Art. Well, what did they find, Brad? Well, what did they find? And what did the large... Well, somewhat disputed what they found. Yes, did, there's actually... Yes. Those facts are in dispute. But this much appears not to be in dispute, that... They found in the couple's basement what was described as four pieces of apparatus hanging from the ceiling on chains, a bed with mirrors, KY brand lotion, videotapes, some theater-style lighting. We could go on like this. How do we just sum up what the basement looked like? Well, you might say it was a set for porn movies. You might <laughs> say it was a dungeon or something like that. I mean, it, it, it sounds to me like it was a place for having kinky sex. Okay, that's that's fair. Okay. And then here, the thing I'm most shocked about, I'm not shocked about any of that. I'm shocked about that nine employees entered this couple's basement to locate and shut off the the valve that needed. Nine. A supervisor and eight employees. Well, Does what? that strike you as the right amount of personnel to perform this repair? Nine employees. Is that a setup question, Brad? Well, well, I I've, would, I would say someone. How do you someone, think this went down? I, I went, uh, someone went in there and right. said, "You guys, you got to see, see, see this. see this. Get right. a load of this." And look, it's, look, 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 we're laughing, but yeah. what an invasion of the, this yes. couple's privacy! It's a real it's invasion of privacy. We're here. They're there ostensibly to perform a repair, right. and they've got someone going in and calling in the cavalry to come check out. Yeah, check you know, out this, this crazy stuff, yeah. and then they kept this secret. Right. Okay. So fast forward. We do have to get through to these facts so you can understand what this court case is all about. So. Nothing happens at that point other than all these folks go in and in, in fact, do the, the repair. In fact, the head of the building and grounds department who was with the crew retired, and it was a new building and grounds person so fast who forward, initiated the problem. Fast forward to a year later, and they're going to embark on a program of performing some needed repairs in houses on the street. And two of these employees from a year prior bring up what they had discovered the prior year right. and sort of note that they're uncomfortable with the prospect of going back to this 
this this mysterious place, right. this basement with all this paraphernalia. But but that does not stop one of them from saying that he or she would be willing. I think it was a he. To yeah. go back and, and confirm, Mr. Milligan. Mr. Milligan, confirm whether this stuff is still there. The stuff being the sling, the bed with mirrors, and all the other stuff we talked about. Yeah. So I can't look. I can't look. I'm so frightened, but I will go back and confirm that this stuff is still there. I will right. do my duty right. by going back. Right. Okay. So then what happens? So then what happens is the head of building and grounds, who had never been there and never seen what was in the basement, uh, reported this secondhand information to the headmaster. And this sets off a chain of events. Right. Because they're thinking, the headmaster immediately says, oh, there are fisting parties going <laughs> well on. Done. And he's <laughs> broadcasting it over the internet because they, they said there, were tri- there was a tripod. So we thought, you know, cameras. Yeah, that's in dispute. But films, yeah, you yeah. Know, So he had visions in his head that, you know, Lawrenceville porn specials on the internet. Well, so. and we have to pause on that for a second. Yeah. Leaving aside, I mean, we could joke about it, why the headmaster immediately leaps to the idea of, 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 of fisting. But the second thing is that they immediately decide that what's happening is, or what's likely to be happening, is that they're filming and sending it out over the Internet right. for people's consumption. I'm not sure how you make that leap from... Well, I'm sure from, how you make that leap. Okay, tell me. You're the headmaster of a private school. Okay. You're terrified. This is one of the great fears in your life, that there will be some kind of scandal at your institution while okay. you're there, which will get you fired and in disgrace. So I think the headmaster immediately feared the worst. And even though this was a highly respected teacher, in fact, the, the opinion says that when when uh, the teacher was re- most recently reappointed, the headmaster included a personal note of praise and everything about how wonderful he was. So, obviously, this is a teacher about whom they'd had no problems, never a hint of scandal. Uh, he was openly gay. Mm-hmm. His boyfriend lived with him. Who they later were. They later were, became uh, uh, civil union partners, yes. but at the time this occurred, uh, this discharge was in 2003, uh, and civil unions weren't available yet in New Jersey. Uh, but they'd been living together for several years in the house. They were known to uh, the administration staff. But this isn't a case where there was a scandal that erupted because of misbehavior. This is a case where a bunch of building and grounds workers stumbled on something that at first they kept a deep, dark secret, and then when they were asked to go back, one of them, uh, two of them said, you know, we, we don't well, want to go back. Well, and on this point... So it's, it's like when this guy was called into the headmaster's office two days later... Well, that's what I... Before he you didn't get, know anything right, about what Right, and before you... I, I wanted to get no your opinion on whether... The the level of concern exhibited by the headmaster and the associate headmaster and all the other people that were involved in consuming this information before deciding to two days yeah. later set up a meeting right. with uh, Savoy to confront him essentially with his evidence is that the I mean did he have an obligation at that point to do something with this information or could one come to the conclusion that this is private you know presumably private well, consensual activity in his basement well and well, so well here's the alone? thing here's the thing it's a private school. It's school housing that's provided yeah. to faculty, so the, the building belongs to the school, and they have a right of access to make repairs. Uh, so there could be arguments back and forth over whether there was a privacy breach here. Uh, I think it's a case of, uh, you know, since, since it is a private school, uh, but he did presumably have an annual contract of some sort, at least the, the, that seems to be uh, what's suggested by the opinion. So... You know, if they were going to threaten him with discharge or something like that, I would say that more in the way of a real investigation should be going on here. Uh, He's not a public employee, uh, so we don't have due process issues and things like that. But we do have discrimination law issues. We do have privacy issues. 
Uh, and I think in this case, I think the headmaster overreacted. Well, and essentially at this meeting that they held with him, there's a lot of disagreement about what was conceded to, particularly what by way said. of about whether there are video cameras and transmission over the Internet, all this kind of stuff. But long story short, essentially they said, you know, you're either going to be fired or you're going to resign because for on whatever basis they assume that he's been videotaping and transmitting these images over the Internet using... Right. The school's Wi-Fi or and, whatever the case and, may and be. And in subsequent depositions, it, it seems clear that that was their main concern. Uh, the uh, the associate headmaster, who, who comes off as sort of the heavy in this, uh, because she had made disparaging comments about uh, his lifestyle to his partner mm-hmm. several years earlier, which the trial court characterized as a stray comment, and the appellate division said, well, just a minute, she was a decision-maker. Here, right, so it's, it's not, not a stray, a stray comment. comment. She's a decision-maker. <laughs> So, you know, it, it turns into a sexual orientation discrimination case and a wrongful discharge in violation of public policy case under New Jersey law. And he, he bring, this is the New Jersey law against discrimination, which right. I imagine is very similar Cover to sexual orientation as yeah. here in New York and New York right. City. And, and of course, and, and as well, New Jersey has uh, a very well-developed, unlike New York, a very well-developed common law of wrongful discharge in mm-hmm. violation of public policy. Uh, so he was able to bring that in as well in the case. Uh, so the uh, the trial judge granted summary judgment to uh, the school, saying that uh, based on all the evidence submitted, you know, because there was extensive discovery here and, and rather ferocious discovery described by the court, contentious discovery and invasive discovery. Well, and, but, but but the point is, on the basis of all of this, the school argued that. It's clear that we had a legitimate concern. Whether we were correct or not, we were acting in good faith. And we were not being homophobic, blah, 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 because he's been here. He's been openly gay. No one has made any big deal about it. Uh, So it's clearly not because he's gay. It's because he's engaging in activities that might cast discredit on the school and harm our reputation, et cetera. And the trial judge bought that and granted summary judgment. And the appellate division said, hold on, guys. There are disputed issues of fact here. And depending how they're resolved by a fact finder weighing credibility at a trial, he may be able to show that this was a decision that was tainted by anti-gay stereotypes. Well, and on that that sort of discovery you're referring to earlier, I mean, part of the discovery was aimed at the question of, well, similarly alleged misbehaving heterosexual teachers and employees, how were they treated during disciplinary process? And there was, I mean, you talk about digging into the lives of, you you come to learn that our teachers... All teachers are very human, very much human beings, yes. right? We learned all sorts of things about some of his colleagues, including one of them who was having an affair and was told basically quit it because it was against their moral conduct policy. And if you don't stop the affair, you're going to be fired. And he continued the affair, and the same associate headmaster said nothing. Yeah. I mean, let him keep his job. Right. So this well, is this, you know, this is fair the treatment the, argument. The discovery on his side, on Mr. Savoy's side, was. Uh, bringing to light all the peccadilloes of the faculty and administration and the way in which he was treated differently from other people. And their discovery of him was like scorched earth discovery, you know, turn over your computers, uh, turn over your bank records, turn over everything about your life. We're going to investigate the hell out of you to see if there's any basis to justify this. You know, I didn't Google the school, but one would think that this kind of dispute where everyone's dirty laundry is now publicly aired would be more damn could be more damaging to the school right. than you know anything that was allegedly transpiring in the basement meaning now you have a bunch of students running around who well, probably know a lot about their right. parent their teachers right. private lives well well what happened here is and this is like this is 
headmaster carry who i think you know he thought you know this guy will just skulk away you know he'll sign a letter of resignation right and leave away. quietly because he'll be so right. embarrassed and the, shamed right after he submitted the letter uh so well, he got a backbone and said he wanted to withdraw his letter of resignation yeah, and that was rejected and that was rejected you may be grabbing for your telephone but that's actually a phone ringing in arthur leonard's office because he gets a lot of phone calls art during podcasts where were we? Where were we? We we were with Savoy the, the uh, tries to attempt rescind. to withdraw the letter of resignation, and that was rejected. Uh, and so he filed suit, and we have this uh, this decision. The trial judge, as I mentioned, had uh, granted summary judgment, and the appellate division says he's entitled to a trial here. He's made a valid uh, claim, depending how the facts are resolved. Uh, he may have a case. I, I do want to leave on one thing I found sort of. Shocking's too strong a word, but you would think the fact that this was conceded to would sort of end the case is that the headmaster testifies that he would have terminated the plaintiff no matter what, because word of the plaintiff's sexual activity was already all over campus. But the because people of the who's, building because and the, staff. <laughs> because of the right. employees' own staff members, the employers' right. own staff members. So it's sort of well, the the we're already, the news is already too. It's already out right. there. By virtue of our employees. Well, there's there's another uh, aspect of the case worth mentioning very briefly, and that is that Savoy argued on appeal that the court had not properly uh, allowed for uh, the privacy of his relationship with his partner in terms of discovery and things like that. And the court said, well, he didn't really present us with documents or, or any kind of specification of how this confidentiality was violated, but we will now say that, of course, we recognize spousal privilege for civil union partners. In oh, Jersey. well done. So that was right at the end of the opinion. So that's important. No, that's, it's worthy of ending on that. So we're going to take another short break. When we return, we'll be circling back a bit um, to some stuff we've discussed previously. This time uh, we'll be talking about DOMA, but in the immigration context and the certification of a nationwide class action lawsuit attacking the constitutionality of dreaded DOMA Section 3. Stay with us. We're back discussing the case of Aranis v. Napolitano, in which a federal district court judge in Los Angeles has certified a nationwide class action lawsuit attacking the constitutionality of Section 3 of DOMA in the context of spousal immigration rights. Um, Art, I'm sure our listeners are aware of the nasty effects of DOMA on, on binational couples, but as a reminder, um, give us a sense of what the impact is for, for such well, couples. Well, the impact is that those couples may have to be separated unless uh, the American half of the couple is willing to go overseas, because... Uh, under the immigration laws, a legally married couple, binational couple, with one being an American legal resident or citizen, they can sponsor their uh, their spouse for a green card for the right to live here and work here and uh, eventually apply for citizenship. Uh, and uh, the case here is a bit complicated but fairly typical of, of someone who came to this country uh, and uh, on some other status and uh, met someone, fell in love, got married. This was in California. They got married in 2008, lesbian couple. And now she wants to remain here with her spouse. And the immigration service says, well, we don't recognize same-sex spouses because of Section 3 of DOMA. So we have a resulting lawsuit. We have uh, a situation where, uh, of course, the Obama administration takes the position that Section 3 is unconstitutional, but that they must apply it until the Supreme Court rules or Congress repeals it, 
we have the bipartisan legal advisory group, our old friend Blag and uh, Mr. Paul we can, Clement. We cannot you know. go. Can we go one and podcast so, without? So they intervened, of course, to mm-hmm. defend Section Three against this horrendous attack. How do they know when to intervene? Is there, do they have think, a search term where no, or do the courts say, hey, you may want to... No, what, what happens is the uh, Attorney General, uh, the Justice Department, has to tell them. Okay. Hey, this may be one of the ones yeah. on your hit list? Yeah, under, well, no, under, under the statute uh, that applies to this situation, if the Justice Department decides not to defend a federal statute, they're required to notify Congress. Uh, so every time a new suit is filed with the Justice Department isn't going to defend DOMA, they have to contact Speaker Boehner's office and say, hey, we got another one for you. <laughs> oh my and I think they're in several dozen cases now around the country. This is amazing. And um, there's just like a bunch of cash registers going off in yeah. offices across. Um, well, where's Mr. Paul Clement's, Clement's office located? in Washington. You know, he's every every time he takes on a new one of these cases, there's, you know, another retainer. <laughs> So uh, so he's busy arguing here, of course, DOMA's constitutional, and the Justice Department is saying, well, it's not constitutional, but we have to apply it, and also bringing up some technical reasons why they think that this isn't an appropriate case to me, decide the constitutionality. And that's important, uh, because they say each petition for recognition of spousal status and allowing someone to stay under that status goes off on its own facts and its own merits, and there are lots of complicated facts in this case even if we did recognize same-sex marriages, there might be some question whether she's qualified because of the situation in her own life, because she had the Philippine equivalent of a common-law marriage before she came here, and there's no indication of a divorce, and her boyfriend followed her here, and they lived together for a while, but then they split up, and then she married in 2008 uh, this uh, same-sex partner, and so there are all kinds of factual issues in this case. But Judge Marshall... Consuelo Marshall, the federal district judge, said, well, there is one question that is a threshold question that has to be resolved before we get to any of those facts, and that is whether a same-sex marriage validly contracted will be recognized. And, and that's, a, that's a core common question for all folks in yeah, this situation. And, and, and in this case, uh, Ms. DeLeon, uh, who is the, the plaintiff, uh, it's called Aranis because that's her common-law married name, and it's the name of her son, who she also petitioned for to stay here, uh, and uh, Judge Marshall threw the son out of the case that he didn't have standing. Uh, But uh, she sought certification as a class action to sue on behalf of all foreign-born, foreign citizen spouses, same-sex spouses of Americans who would be similarly affected by Section 3 in terms of their immigration rights. And here, Judge Marshall said that that is a common question that needs to be resolved for the entire class. Let me let me ask you another somewhat of a threshold question, too, that some of our listeners may be wondering about, which is if DOMA is indeed struck down, or at least Section 3 of DOMA in, in, in June or July or whenever it's issued, is there a scenario in which this case, you know, having this case out there still matters? Meaning if DOMA falls, that section of DOMA falls, is there a scenario in which binational couples would somehow still face hurdles with respect to being able to be recognized well, and stay in this country? It depends how the Supreme Court rules mm-hmm. and how the opinion comes out. Even even if Edie Windsor gets her tax refund back, which is technically what the case is about, uh, if they rule on a very narrow basis, uh, it could be that we'll spend a lot of time picking up the pieces with respect to all different federal statutes. Uh, I mean, it could technically be argued they're just deciding the issue for purposes of estate tax or something like that. Uh, we can't tell until the opinion comes out how broad it will be. 
But it would be good to have this on file because uh, after, if the Supreme Court issues a decision striking down Section 3 as unconstitutional, then the plaintiffs in this case can immediately move, move yeah. for an injunction. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, that could be expedited. And if for some reason uh, the court doesn't make a broad ruling in the Windsor case, this case is there. It's a Right, right. And we, we talked on the last podcast, I mean, about... Well, how will the case get up there? Exactly. Right. And, and the fact that they can rule on, you know, standing grounds and not reach the ultimate question. Right. So, so certainly. That, so that it's good to have other cases pending so that we can get the question back up Is there, this right? a quote-unquote movement case? Who, uh, well, actually, it, it is a public interest organization who is uh, representing DeLam, the Center for Human Rights and Constitutional Law, which specializes in uh, representing people with immigration issues. Uh, so it isn't, it isn't a gay movement organization, but it is an immigration rights movement organization mm -hmm. that is uh, bringing this case. Uh, I want to pause for one moment on Mr. Clement again and some of the arguments he's made in this case. That this, it seems like judges are having a, a relatively easy time, right? Because definitively the striking down, the, striking the, at the, it, the, the arguments being presented because, but, because under existing Supreme Court precedents, most of the arguments that Clement is making don't carry any water. Well, so let's let's talk about one of those arguments where I, I guess it's Blag is arguing that DOMA does nothing more than ensure in this context some uniformity. Um, I'm not sure if I even follow that argument, actually. Well, they're saying that throughout the country, same-sex couples will not be recognized as married. Right, so but, uh, but, uniform but the judge says, <laughs> says it doesn't ensure sim similarly situated couples will be eligible for the same federal marital status regardless of the state in which they live because the comparison is between opposite-sex couples who are ma legally married and same-sex couples who are legally married. And right. that's the kind of uniformity one would want right. to treat Everyone all who's legally <laughs> married should be recognized, right? And you read this quote from the court, uh, and it's so persuasively logical and it brings me to another question that you will tell me is completely irrelevant, but I'm going to ask you anyway, because it's fascinating me. Does, does Clement believe that? Yes. Does Paul Clement well, actually believe what he's arguing? Let, let me say that Paul Clement has been retained by Blag to defend know, the statute. I know. And so he has to make every An argument. argument. Zealously represent his client. Right. But can I ask it again? Does he really believe these? I don't know. I mean, because when you read the thing, the way the judge is right, he's a smart guy, right? Yeah. He's a very smart guy. He, was, he had an excellent record as a uh, Yeah, I've general. heard he's smart. So yes. this kind of quote, though, it's sort of so... These judges are using various... What at some level is almost elementary logic to definitively, <laughs> seemingly definitively knock down some of the argument. Is that so... Anyway, I'm getting it. You want to give me something he, on that he, or are you going to leave me hanging out here? He's being a zealous advocate, and so far nobody has suggested Rule 11 sanctions against him for making frivolous arguments. Okay. And... We All know right. that there are some members of the Supreme Court who would probably vote in favor of his arguments. We just don't know how many, and we're hoping it's fewer than, than four. five. Well, fewer than four would be even better. <laughs> All right. We're going to leave it, leave it there in terms of our hopes for what's going to happen in the Supreme Court. Uh, we're going to take a very short break. We're going to conclude with our Of Note segment. We're going to hope the phone doesn't ring. No one calls on Arthur Leonard's services in the next few minutes because he's going to take it away and close the podcast with our, our Of Note. So stay with us. We're back. All right. What do you have of note? What I have of note? Yes. Okay. That's what I asked. The state of Montana has repealed its sodomy law. Can you imagine that? Only on the 10th anniversary of Lawrence versus Texas. Now, there are still some states hanging out there who haven't gotten around to this. Virginia, Texas, 
there's a, a legislative proposal in Texas. There's a Fourth Circuit opinion in, in Virginia that we talked about uh, already in the prior podcast. So Montana, they're getting with the, with the program. Congratulations, Montana. Okay. And I think there was, there was an openly gay state legislator who made a very moving statement uh, before the vote, and everyone was in tears, and they voted to repeal, and a few, you know, hardcore types voted against repeal because they think we need to send a symbolic message that gays should be living in Montana. <laughs> okay. But the, but, the, but the majority of the legislature said, we like our gay brothers All and sisters. All right, okay. symbolic message defeated with another... Symbolic message. message. Yes. Awesome. All right. That's all the time we have today. Thanks for listening. To read the latest issue of Law Notes, please become a member of the LGBT Bar Association of Greater New York or a Law Notes subscriber by visiting us at www.le-gal.org. This and future podcasts can be found online in iTunes or at legal.podbean.com. Please take a moment to give us stars in the iTunes store so we can move up the list. And you can follow us on Twitter at legal.org or find us on Facebook. Thanks for listening.